Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Claudia, your hostess on Ask a Leader this morning on the February 15th edition of our show. Last month, David Cato, a leading gay rights activist, was killed. He was hammered to death. It was first considered some sort of an automotive accident, but those who knew what was going on, the movement there, the homophobic movement, knew that it was a, a killing of a gay man. In December of 2009, uh, national legislation was proposed that was um, with, sentence, with sentences ranging from three years to up to a death sentence for connections to or uh, to gays or gay activity. Uh, with the elections coming up on Friday, there is a great deal in the works. And so today, we are going to have the privilege of devoting the whole hour to the forces in play, the people and the movements involved, and what's connected to us in Orange County. And with our guest, we're going to cover that. It's Reverend Canon Robert Ogle from San Diego. He is um, currently the um, with the St. Paul Foundation. That's Episcopalian uh, order. Uh, St. Paul Foundation for International Reconciliation. He's based in San Diego. However, he's been very active with various um, UN and State Department agencies. On the East Coast, he's coming to us live from the Big Apple in New York City. Welcome, Canon Ogle, for being on our show today. Thanks, Claudia. It's good to be on your show. Thank you so much. There's You've been following this for such a long time, and it's time that uh, we all bone up on what is happening. It's happening under our noses, and I want to connect the dots all the way from Orange County to Uganda because we, we simply must do that. Well, as I mentioned, um, we're going to talk about this homophobic movement that's gone on. And I, I want to bring everyone's attention to a, a remembrance in the New York Times. It was written at the end of January by a Jeffrey Gettleman. And he talks about Reverend Kauma of Zambia, who was present during the March 2009 meetings, claiming that uh, Americans had underestimated, these evangelicals, I must say, uh, had underestimated the homophobia. And I quote Reverend Kaoma, they don't know that when you speak about destroying the family to Africans, the response is genocide. He continues to say, the moment you speak about the tribe, you speak about the future. Africans will fight to the death. When you speak like that, you invite wrath. Didn't Canon Ogle, didn't the evangelicals coming to Uganda, didn't they appreciate what happened in the middle 90s? What happened in Rwanda when that massive genocide was incited? Well, it's interesting because we, we know now that much of the force behind the genocide in Rwanda actually came from our churches. Uh, and um, a I'm not lot sure of we the know that. Of the no. process of dehumanizing people 
began in our pulpits and saying that uh, this particular group uh, was evil and didn't deserve to live and so on. And many of the people who were slaughtered in that massacre um, actually sought sanctuaries in churches. And there were clergy involved in lay people involved in, uh, you know, rounding them up and t- telling people that they were in particular places. And unfortunately, the both the Anglican Church, which is my, my church, and the Roman Catholic Church were, you know, up to their armpits in this horrible, um, long dehumanizing process. And and when it was over, there was really no ownership of our part participation in that. Well, I'm not sure. Uh, I was aware that in Rwanda that that the, the church was as involved in that, but uh, it's important that we that these do not uh, these not keep uh, getting connected. And I guess it it shows just how then responsible this delegation of evangelicals in March of 2009 were in trying to sort of replay this sort of zen, xenoph- homophobic xenophobic rollout. Um, it's it's a it's just amazing. Um, so. Uh, I'm I'm actually stunned by that. Um, so the this whole idea of picking what was called a, the I guess uh, Winston Churchill and also uh, Jeffrey Gettleman mentioned considered Uganda called it the the pearl of Africa, and so it's sort of like they plucked the pearl and decided that this was going to be the place where the ex-gay movement was going to take hold, and I guess was is the strategy to to spread from Uganda outward? Yeah, well, Uganda is a beautiful country. It's uh, about 30 million people, uh, the majority of whom are Christians. About 10 million would be Anglicans and about 10 million um, Catholics, and, and the Pentecostal movement is also very strong there. So, and the Ugandans are very gregarious. They have... Uh, a, a diaspora all over the world, and they've yes. invited uh, friends like me to come and help them. And I did a lot of AIDS work there in the uh, 1990s, and Uganda was a kind of example of how you can turn the corner on AIDS. Uh, the, the churches and the religious community were very much a part of the early strategy. And so because of this, you know, uh, wonderful people, Christian, vibrant community, they were targeted by the ex-gay movement, and we know that the particular uh, story you're telling, in March of 2009, uh, three leaders of the ex-gay movement from the United States, headed by a man called Scott Lively, turned up in Uganda, had a meeting in a hotel in Kampala where they invited a lot of members of parliament, and the um, there are laws on the books in Uganda already from the British uh, days when uh, Britain ruled Uganda as a colony that uh, criminalized uh, gay gay and lesbian people. And basically, Lively said, and we have it on tape, who actually was filmed, uh, that they, the Uganda government was really soft on gays and they needed to actually make it much more difficult uh, for gay and lesbian people to live there. And the underlying theory behind Scott Lively and indeed the ex-gay movement is that being gay is a choice. Uh, They do not believe that God created uh, people uh, gay for for good, and that uh, if gay people wanted to, they could uh, become straight again. And 
There's a whole kind of underground movement in the United States. Uh, the ex-gay movement is very powerful. Many churches, including Rick Warren's church, have had conferences and programs um, promoting the theory that um, this is a choice and that you and that you can change. So what happened from that March event was things moved very quickly, and a man called David Bahati, who's an MP in Uganda, um, a young, uh, very good MP in, in his community. I, I know his community well, and they've got deep respect for him. But he brought in a private member's bill uh, that's called the Bahati Bill, and it was to criminalize LGBT people further, uh, including the death penalty and required reporting by uh, clergy and counselors and even your own family, so that if you had a gay son or, or you had a gay neighbor, this bill required you to report them, and if you didn't report them, that you could be fined or even sent to prison as well. well it's, yes, it, it's... Also, it also called for people, Ugandans living abroad, who were gay and lesbian, to be returned to Uganda and to face um, court. And um, that's the sliding scale here from, yes, whether you're implicated by association or whether you are, in a sense, you are uh, charged with with being gay. And the the sliding scale from three years to a a death sentence. Um, And so uh, this was this legislation was just you could time it to your watch after the evangelicals had visited the the country. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a there's a direct connection. It was an imported homophobic movement, ready packaged and ready to go with how uh, these um, the evangelicals had been organizing since I understand it since 1976 when uh, Anita Bryant was trying to squeeze all the gays out of the classroom in uh, in the 70s. Yeah, but again, the the underlying premise is that being gay is a choice, and it's a very flawed premise because um, there's no science that proves this, and they have a a kind of pseudo-psychology that has been created um, that, again, is not based on on experience. Uh, it's, It's very flawed, and it's actually very damaging to gay and lesbian people. You have people in churches who are attending ex-gay groups. Uh, we had, uh, uh, in San Diego, uh, Skyline Church had a conference last year. 600 people showed up at this, paying $60 a head for a day. And at the cathedral, we put on a counter-conference, um, mainly by the faith community, saying that we, we, um, we, we didn't believe this. We, we didn't believe this uh, theory. We thought it was harmful and that it needed to be stopped. Well, and the, with the legislation looming and fanning, and then the, the, the part, the, the, what I guess the, the, uh, what began uh, to make things more and more serious for the high-profile gays in Uganda, like David Cato, were, uh, was a, a, a tabloid in Kampala that printed, I guess, the, uh, the hundred most uh, visible gays and put them all out there. They were sort of... They might as well had the target put on their heads, and so from then on, even when David Cato would grant interviews, it was he was very, very vulnerable. He knew um, increasingly. So the with the rollout of the legislation, the legislation pending, then uh, an incitement from the the local media to uh, identify and go after these gays. It was a snowballing in terms of of how very, very dangerous uh, the whole. Uh, 
setting was. Well, you've talked about a lot of different people, and I want to uh, unpackage each and every one of them. Uh, Scott Lively's been around for some time. Uh, We want to mention um, that he has been a board, he's currently a board member of Exodus International, which is uh, the organization that was formed. I I believe it goes back to about the 70s, does it not, Canon Ogle? And so with Exodus International, you have a large cadre of evangelicals organizing in some uh, first, we have 120 local mystery, ministries in United States and Canada, and then 17 additional ministries around the the world. Now, are they are those 17 outside of the United States and Canada? Are they clustered in particular um, around Africa, or are they um, in other regions that we should be watching carefully? Well, they're all around the world, Claudia. I mean, they would be in the Philippines. They would be in South and Central America. Um, but because Africa is so Christian and so vulnerable in many ways, um, people are have been easily swayed to um, focus on this. Um, and and I, I think you know I just want to raise the point that Please paper do. you talked about, the Rolling Stone that came out a couple of months ago. It's not I to was be in confused Uganda with our in the... uh, September. Yes. And I was working with Bishop Christopher Signorio, who is a 79-year-old straight ally. He's a bishop of the Anglican Church, and um, he's a counselor. And when he retired in 1998, he began counseling gay and lesbian people and realized that what the church had been teaching, including his own church, was actually really harmful. And the things that were said about gay people were just not true. So he began countering some of the homophobia that was coming from the churches, and his own church uh, excommunicated him, removed his pension, said that they would not bury him in consecrated ground. And when I came back uh, to the United States and this Rolling Stone paper came out, his his picture was actually on the front page with David Cato's, the young man who was murdered. Yes. And it was very disturbing. Uh, this paper is absolutely innocuous. Um, the edition that came out after the ex- uh, Hang the Homos, it was called Hang the Homos, um, the, the next edition accused um, the gay community of staging the Kampala bombings, where there were 75 people uh, brutally killed. So clearly this paper was out to just inflame um, and, and spread lies about gay people and their, and their friends. Another match in the pack. Ugh, my goodness. And so this um, Exodus International, well-organized, uh, motivated, and um, well-connected with uh, a very organized kind of uh, network of various evangelical congregations around the country and around the world are uh, not only uh, sending their missions and missionaries out to the, um, other c- countries and um, reaching uh, in other populations, but they're, as you were talking about, um, and I'd like you to talk a great deal more about the, the ex-gay movement, what uh, they're trying to do with increasingly, uh, inc- more and more societies, with increasingly younger ages, trying to reach out to them and in some pretty interesting and pretty bizarre ways try to um, uh, 
sort of smack the the gay out of the individual um, at increasingly younger ages. So we I want you to talk to that. Um we have I have no we have Scott Lively jangling out there but he's but he he's an attorney uh and so we're we're talking about everybody who's got everything to do with theology and their their brand of of uh, of a legal background but nobody seems to be talking from a a, a psychological credential. <laughs> so I I'd like you to talk about What's going on with the um, the ex-gay pseudotherapy to which you had referred? And we can talk about some places where people can learn and read more about some of those case studies. The, actually, the ex-gay movement used to have a lot more financial support than it does. I mean, people are realizing, I think, they're joining the dots. Um, it's really great that you're covering it today in your program um, up until maybe two years ago, I was really not aware that this movement was so powerful and also that it was so connected to uh, the creating of legislation in places like Uganda. So I've kind of woken up and become more aware uh, that something that appears pretty innocuous or even you know, providing pastoral care to families or to people who are struggling with maybe a gay or lesbian spouse or a child you know, on the surface, that looks like it's a very good thing. But when you look at, again, look at the premise below it, and then how the church is using the state to increase uh, violence and 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 imprisonment uh, because of a theological point of view, so it raises huge concerns about uh, the relationships between uh, the church and the state. It raises uh, concerns about how you know I might have a belief that uh, divorce is, is wrong or it's against the Bible or whatever, but then to get my government to impose that as a law is a whole other, other thing. So I think when you look at um, the underlying religious belief, it begins that, that homosexuality is not a part of God's plan uh, and that it's condemned in the Bible. There are many, many scholars today that really refute that, and the the overwhelming belief that God has created all of us and that God wants us to live in community and love and that God wants families to be strong and not to um, pick on people who are different or who are gay or straight or whatever. I mean, that that principle that's at the heart of Christianity has been forgotten in this struggle. And in the process, too, the movement seems to be co-opting so many different um, institutions f- for their end. With the um, the ex-gay therapy, there is a, a network of homosexuals anonymous. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And I want to remind our listeners who just or those who just joined us, you're uh, listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and speaking to us today and with us is Canon Robert. Ogle, Albert, I'm sorry, Ken, Robert, Albert Ogle, uh, he's calling this interview in from New York City as he's been very involved with looking at um, our State Department and uh, the UN involvement in reining in this nefarious trend in Uganda, uh, this homophobic uh, movement. I, uh, so I would like to go back now to, so the, the, uh, the various 12-step programs that are well-known around this country and around the world uh, have been co-opted with this Homosexuals Anonymous through the, um, the uh, Exodus International. Can you talk to how that's, uh, how was, how was, where did that come from? How long has that been around? 
Well, in, in many ways, I mean, if you look at uh, how our society has evolved, in the, in the 1950s, we were, you know, using shock therapy. The American Psychological Association believed that uh, being gay was an illness, and that was removed in the mid-70s. We had research done by people like Kinsey, who developed this, the Kinsey scale, saying yes. that um, we're all on a continuum. At one end, you've got people who are completely straight, the other completely gay, and some people in the middle are bisexual. So our own kind of evolution in, in psychology and in our kind of belief system. At one point, the church absolutely condemned gay people outright. People were then sent to prison. Uh, bars could be raided by the police. I mean, our society has has really uh, evolved and changed over, you know, 30, 40 years. And, and I think um, what we see in the ex-gay movement is also a development from just saying that being gay is evil to saying, well, actually, you're not evil, but your behavior is, and that if you apply 12-step principles, and if you get pastoral support and you join these groups, that you can uh, kind of, what they say, pray the gay away, right. that, you, that you can become straight again. Now, the, again, the evidence from these communities themselves is incredibly uh, weak. Um, people have delayed... Um, they're uh, being in, in a relationship, or they've been celibate, or they've, you know. Uh, but many of the founders of the ex-gay movement, people like uh, Michael Bussey and Wayne Beeson, yeah, talk about what who were are. actually, in the beginning, helped to actually found this movement, and would go around the country talking about it and starting these groups, even they say it doesn't work. And many of them are now working to undo uh, the horrible damage that this movement is doing. Well, Michael Bussey, not only is he uh, involved in that, I mean, he's decided he's totally changed course. He's uh, talked about it being a terrible mistake. And I think he had early on thought that they would be steering, Exodus International would be steering clear of what he called right-wing politics. He said, as though Jesus was a right-wing Republican. And it's it, as he said, it was a terrible mistake. And he's even... Um, Try, he even tried to stay away from what Lou Sheldon had been doing here in Orange County. Uh, and so um, he's been rethinking it. And th there are some that have been sort of less, to a lesser degree, rethinking it. Um, uh, they, they're they uh, thinking, well, they're just, they're more, um, we're so much more about sexual expression, said Alan Chambers, and uh, an ex, uh, he, well, he's with the, the Exodus International, however, uh, he's not gone very far as, as Michael Bussey has in terms of um, actively uh, opposing this whole involvement in um, the rooting out, I guess. Yes, and the, and uh, Mr. Chambers and, and his board were, they knew that Scott Lively and two other members of this movement were in Uganda, and it took them months before they responded when, when people like Michael Bussey, you know, put pressure on him to make a statement to oppose on this. Scott so it Lively? took them months to actually to do that. But by then, the damage was done. Well, and it's, it's when I've looked at some excerpts, you know, they really are trying, he's, Scott Lively's trying to hedge his bets with, uh, well, he can. He's not so interested in the death sentence, but we got to have the 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 rest in place. And it's sort of they're trying to have have it, uh, you know, have it all ways is, um, in, in uh, this legislation. And and uh, as you were saying, that there 
is a um, this legislation in its totality provides a sweeping uh, a sort of punitive uh, range of, of dealing with gay association and gay activity. And you said that although the elections uh, are are coming up, and, we're, and we'll talk about whether those elections are, are mindful of what other uh, movements are going on around the, the world, that with those, let me bring it back here, is that with even the election that, uh, coming up on Friday, and with the um, the man in power, uh, Mr. Museveni, uh, having been in power for 25 straight years, uh, there is another hazard with this legislation. Were it not in one simple, one whole Bahati bill, you said that there was a a, a possibility of of cannibalizing. Aspects of this legislation to sort of be uh, tacked onto current legislation um, for implementation to to further the homophobic agenda. Yes, indeed. Well, the the bill had such a a reaction around the world. Even the president uh, condemned it. He said it was odious. Um, all of the significant human rights groups around the world condemned it. Um, the, the, uh, a lot of the mainstream churches in this country d- did the same. Uh, Rick Warren, to his credit, also did not support the bill, uh, and it was really good that he spoke out. But, uh, you know, I think that Rick Warren, he has a personal relationship with President Museveni. He's very close to um, the president's wife. Um, he's uh, Rick Warren has done a lot of work in the region, in Rwanda, in the Congo, in, in Uganda. Uganda, uh, they call it the purpose-driven country. Um, so I would have liked to have seen Rick Warren do actually a lot more work. It was good that he came out against the bill. Um, but the again, bill, not just parts of it, but the whole bill? Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, the he, whole... He came out against the bill, and... He made a video because of the the uproar and the connection that he had. He had a pastor, Martin Sempa, yes. who was a very well-known mega-pastor. He's kind of the Rick Warren of Uganda. And uh, he made a video uh, addressed to the pastors of Uganda where he distanced himself from Sempa, and he distanced himself from the bill. Um, but I would have loved to have seen Rick Warren, who's very respected in Uganda, actually be more proactive uh, to support the work of Bishop Christopher, for example. He has a, mi- a ministry to all the marginalized. He's working with uh, with uh, widows and, and, and orphans who have lost their p- parents because of AIDS. You know, a lot of ministries that I think Rick Warren and his wife could really get behind, but they've really been silent on this. Claudia and and it's it's it would be really helpful if they could get involved in some way. Why why the silence? Do you think, Canon Ogle? Again, the the underlying the fundamental belief behind even the Bahadi Bill, for instance, the way it's designed is that if you repent of your homosexuality, if you admit that it's evil and it's a sin and that you can be changed, then you don't go to prison. And the way Scott Lively presents it, it's like kind of a DUI. You get arrested by the police, and you go to court, and you decide if you want to if you want to do a program, you want to get into a program, or you want to go to jail, and that's how they look at it. And again, the the underlying premise is deeply, deeply flawed. And uh, we can uh, look to some marvelous resources out there. Um, I, one that uh, you drew, brought my attention to with Truth Wins Out, where uh, it 
opens up more about what's involved with the ex-gay movement, and we have testimonies from, uh, I, I see young people, but I'm sure there's varying ages, where they talked about how they were singled out and uh, dealt with one-on-one about exercising the gay out of them. And it's, uh, it's, those are very important testimonials for us to understand the workings of this ex-gay, ex-gay therapy and uh, the reach of it. And I'm thinking it's sort of like you know getting younger people to start to, uh, smoking cigarettes or increasingly younger people uh, as um, one of the... Um, the uh, pieces on Truth Wins Out by Patrick McAlvey, that it's uh, increasingly younger, more vulnerable uh, uh, gay uh, boys and girls are, are being approached with this ex-gay movement uh, to root out the gay in them. It's, uh, it's, uh, those testimonials are very important on the Truth Wins Out um, website that the listeners can, can take up. I want to remind Everyone, we're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, talking to Canon Albert Ogle. He's calling this interview in from New York City. He's based in San Diego, and he's he's got his feet planted in Southern California, on the East Coast of the United States, and with uh, his many connections in Uganda and throughout. And and you mentioned earlier that there there are dis- distinct similarities with the. Rwandan, um, I'm not going to call it a debacle, with the the Rwandan catastrophe and what's uh, opening up in this incitement to um, uh, to uh, to maim and kill uh, gay, uh, visible uh, gays and uh, those that are identified as gays or associated with gays. Um, we're, are we seeing any kind of a, a pickup from the the liberation movements occurring? In uh, the pan-Arab world now, we're seeing more and more countries that are uh, where there are demonstrations against well-established uh, regimes in those countries. Is uh, something picking up in Uganda that uh, would make this election a little bit different, perhaps? Well, pr- the President Museveni, as you mentioned, he's going into his fourth term. Um, when I was doing my AIDS work there in the 90s, he was very progressive, and he encouraged the use of condoms as a way to prevent the spread of AIDS. And Uganda, you know, totally turned the corner, went from over 10% infection down to about 6 So the president was very courageous and, and worked with the religious community. And around the time of the change of administration in the United States with um, uh, the, the Bush administration, you had a complete shift in policy around AIDS where um, condom use was um, not condoned and abstinence-only programs were, um, were promoted. And again, this had a, a huge effect in Uganda that infection rates began to creep up. Um, and, um, they, and the president himself, I mean, when I was over there in September, the primary elections were being held among his own party, and there were almost 700 complaints within his own party of uh, these elections being rigged. So we're concerned about how the West and countries like the United States, our government, uh, we are supporting a regime that has a very bad history of human rights abuses. And so when you look at what's happened in Egypt, for example, you know, the United States was totally behind uh, Mubarak, and uh, 
a lot of the uh, principles of democracy and freedom that America stands for were were not uh, were not put in place there. And you know, so I think we have to look very carefully at why are we supporting uh, a regime that has a history of abuse and. Uh, all sorts of things that we, we know are happening there, not just with the gay community, but, for instance, when I was there, two journalists were killed, uh, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, the failure of the government to protect. Uh, the uh, Ugandans were accused of um, genocide and, and crimes against humanity with Rwanda um, uh, last uh, in, in October, and that report tried to be suppressed uh, at, at the U.N. So half his budget is supported by foreign aid. Comes, it comes out of your taxpayer money and mine. And my concern is why is American taxpayer money being used to promote uh, this, this curtailment of freedom, this persecution of particular groups within, within society? One example, uh, talking about AIDS, here's a, here's a way to kind of think of it. Yes. Imagine a, the government saying it is illegal, it is not part of our policy, to provide AIDS prevention or services to the LGBT community. And again, this country, we're giving lots of money in AIDS relief to Uganda, and LGBT people are excluded from that. They are. Unbelievable. Yep. Well, that would be a population that would be the fit for uh, that kind of um, public health um, uh, intervention. Well, the, but in aid, it's interesting. The AIDS problem in, in Uganda is very different from here. It is heterosexual people okay, you're right. um, what that, was I that are dealing with this. Yes. And it's more about yes. how you negotiate safe sex within, say, a marriage. Right, and, um, and outside and of that. So, so they have a whole different kind of ball game that they're dealing with. But to say... Yes. That we're deliberately not going, it's illegal uh, to provide services to what they would say to criminals. And they also include uh, sex workers in this. So here you have two vulnerable groups that really should be part of the healthcare system and are not. Oh, my goodness. I, you mentioned also the UN in, um, in their, their involvement in this. And I, I want us to. Uh, make sure um, we talk about uh, the extrajudicial uh, resolution that has been in place in the U.N. for some time. I'm not sure when, how far it dates back. Probably it's about decades. 10 years now. There's Just, a clause that says that, um, uh, if, if you, that, that governments have no right to have extrajudicial killing. In other words, the people aren't given due process of of a trial and, and all the things that we kind of take for granted. But, and there was a clause in there that said uh, LGBT people, people were part of this overall human rights uh, you know, pr pr protection. So that was removed in November of this year. Of last uh, year. Surprisingly removed. Right. And uh, a number of us met at the UN. There was a, about 50 or 60 faith leaders met, and we, we crafted a resolution that Susan Rice, the U.N. ambassador, the United States ambassador, actually used and, uh, you know, said that the United States was really very upset that this was taken out, that thousands of people across the world were then vulnerable, that they were sitting ducks and that there was no recourse in governments to protect them. So fortunately, that uh, piece was, was put back in again in December. So I don't know, with the vote that broke, uh, um, there's 93 countries voting for 
reinstating LGBT. That's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual. So for those who are uh, aren't walking around with that um, acronym there, that uh, 93 countries approved reinstating the LGBT protection. 55 countries voted against and 27 abstained. Does that tell us that we need to keep minding that store? What um, the UN? What kind of protections are coming out of the UN? It could change again. Well, I think we're making progress. Um, there, are, I mean, for instance. Uh, Turkey, which is a predominantly Muslim country, uh, signed an agreement um, actually at the same time the United States on the decriminalization of homosexuality. Um, We currently have about uh, 70 countries uh, that are on record saying they don't believe in in, uh, punishing uh, the state, punishing uh, lesbian and gay people for who they are. So, um, and the, the states that are really having problems with this would be uh, Muslim countries, um, largely Muslim countries, and fundamentalist Christian countries as well. I see. So um, so this is something we need to watch. And I, I wanted... Now, we've talked... We talked a little bit about Scott Lively, and I, I want for people to understand how really involved... He is, and it's a skip back uh, to what we talked about earlier, but um, he's he's been getting a lot of press and a lot of different forums. I, I guess he was even on The Daily Show. Um, and I, um, th- This is a, a man who's trained as an attorney uh, who is, you know, f- crafting lots of tomes on what this, this gay scenario is all about to himself. He's written a book... Uh, called the pink swastika, because he, he's been implicating gays for a lot of things for a long time, but he's co-opted the whole Holocaust uh, narrative by implicating gays in the pink swastika, gays' involvement in the Holocaust. Is there um, is that something that you he, hear him citing often? What when he talks? Uh, yeah, to his he actually audiences? when he was in Kampala, he's on record again for blaming the gay community for the Holocaust, uh, saying gays were very much a part of the Nazi movement, and and actually equated some of the blame of the genocide on the gay community, which again is absolutely ridiculous. Historically, there's no proof of that at all. And again, a, a way in which the Church continues to not only duck its own participation in the genocide, um, and has not really, you know, has really not come to terms with it. So you have the same dehumanizing process happening over again with with new scapegoats, but it's exactly the same pr- process. And then uh, looking, you know, for um, uh, blaming somebody for all these problems. In the same way, the Rolling Stone paper in Uganda, we were talking about that earlier. Right. They actually blamed um, the gay community for causing the bombs in Kampala last summer. Which again is absolutely a lie. So, so people like Lively and David Bahati are, you know, they're just spinning these amazing lies that are that are not based on on any fact. Bahati was on the Rachel Maddow show in December. Some of your listeners may have seen him, mm-hmm. but his conspiracy theory is that uh, there's all this money coming from the West, and it's all about converting. Ugandan children in schools. He talks about these mass movements where children are being uh, lured into uh, gay gay life. And Rachel Maddow said, "You know, sh- show me show me the evidence 
And um, she talked about him again last week as a result of a show she did on the David Cato um, killing. killing. Uh-huh. And uh, he still hasn't, you know, turned, turned stuff up. So they're, they're basing this on fear, misinformation, uh, downright lies, and, and causing, uh, you know, horrible things to happen. When that paper came out, um, uh, some, some people that I know, Bishop Christopher and a I'm lot sorry. of people that he's serving, they yeah. run into hiding. Cannon Ogle, uh, you're people, talking about the article in the Rolling Stone? Were attacked. Yes. You're talking about the Rolling Stone article, the, the, the Ugandan Rolling Stone, that article? Exactly, okay. yeah. Yes, you were saying. But, the, the, again, the, the consequences, I think if, if Christians in this country, uh, maybe your church has an ex-gay program, and you think it's providing all this pastoral support, or maybe your church has a mission abroad. And if you actually saw the consequences, if you talked to somebody who was terrified because the mobs were throwing stones at their house or they, they were threatening them with violence, or in David Cato's case, he was hit with a hammer and killed, you know, here you have a very distinguished human rights leader who was working not only on the rights of gay people, but on the rights of women and minority communities in Uganda. You know, somebody who was a star in that community, um, you know, clubbed to death. Um, and uh, if people saw the connection between you're putting money in the church plate and it's going to support the kind of lies that then causes violence, either violence from the mob or violence from the state, I think people would think twice about that. And that's what I want listeners uh, to take away among other messages today is for it. it's very incumbent of you as a member of a congregation that you do follow, can you connect the dots, that you understand what role your church's missions have in the, um, you know, in various Various agendas being carried out beyond uh, some. I know some friends of mine talk about going to. They go to India. They go to Africa. They're going increasingly to these places, and I, I'm sort of waiting for them to tell me. And what are they? Um, uh, what is that mission about? What is it? Um, is it the uh, the beginning of getting a relationship started so that something like what. Canon Ogle is talking about can take root after the a relationship established. I imagine that's what happens. That first, there is a sort of a, a, a an initial kind of groundwork done, and then oh, by the way, we've got some more things we really want to concern you with. It's not only the gay issue, uh, Claudia. It's also a lot. A lot of this is about uh, gender roles uh, because often this kind of conservative type of Christianity interprets the um, inferior role of women, and again, they, they'll use the Bible to uh, reinforce that. So in places like, you know, India or Uganda, this has horrible consequences for, you know, millions of women and families and children that they're taking care of. And again, people need, I believe, you know, Jesus came to liberate us from this kind of oppression and to join us together in one family and to help one another, and it's a complete distortion of the gospel and of scripture. In a place like Uganda, that translates into Ugandan parliaments debated for 20 years whether or not rape can happen within marriage. Okay. And, and that's a, a government and, a, and a, a community that's largely Christian and would probably be very patriarchal in its, in its approach to gender roles. 
and so on. But again, the, you know, imagine the consequences of that. That uh, women, I've met a number of women who are victims of domestic violence. Domestic violence is rampant in y- Uganda. Uh, divorce is not allowed by the churches there. Uh, so, you know, imagine what it's like for, you know, millions of people to live under that kind of oppression. It is it is an unbearable uh, prospect uh, going on and to consider. And I, I would like for us to talk about, um, and, and one thing, uh, Canon Ogle, you were going to t- say something, speaking of these personal connections, you had something in addition you wanted to say about the, that Rolling Stone article. You were, you, there were people perhaps in the list of 100 gays that you know personally. I'm, th- I think you didn't get a chance to finish that. I wanted you to do that. Well, the tragedy is, Claudia, that one of the, the two pictures on the front, David Cato, he was exposed, um, and the, the caption actually read, hang them. So this paper called for the execution of, of people like David Cato. And the other picture was my good friend, Christopher Signoyo, who is a, is a straight ally, 79 years old. He has 11 grandchildren. He is, um, he's got a Ph.D. trained here in New York. Um, and was a diocesan bishop for 24 years. So here's a, a statesman, somebody who's highly respected, and his picture appeared on the paper, and his church did not come out in his defense at all, uh, which I think is just really, really sad. And the bishop is, uh, has created the St. Paul Center for Reconciliation and Equality. He's, he's really creating a big gay-straight alliance in the country. Uh, he's working with widows and orphans, and if you're, for instance, if you're in a school and it's, you're discovered to be gay or you're accused of being gay, a lot of the work that the bishop is doing, he's teaching people to read and write because they were kicked out of school. Uh-huh. And so he's working with the marginalized, and we're trying to raise some money for him in the United States that he can create women's programs. Uh, a lot of the women are, uh, as I say, taking care of their, their children. Uh, they have been victims of domestic violence. The center is trying to set up self-help projects where these women can do brick-making or catering, and uh, the, the latest project they're doing is they're opening a shop. Um, so there are ways in which uh, I think if people want to contribute money and uh, maybe come and visit Uganda, I'm going to be leading a group there um, in April. In April? Uh, to come and see for yourself the work that the bishop is doing, and he's creating a wonderful, inclusive faith community. So under the auspices of the Foundation for International Reconciliation, out of uh, the St. Saint, um, Saint Paul Foundation there in uh, San Diego, how would they get a hold of you, Canon Ogle, for well, arranging to visit? you can go to our website. It's www.stpaulsfoundation.com. And we have uh, some uh, things up there that the bishop has written, and you can see some of the work that he's doing. And if people want to donate, we're a 501c3 charity, so people can give money that will go directly to help the bishop and, and his work there. And again, he's working not only with gay and lesbian people. I mean, some people who are listening may not want to support um, gay people in, in Uganda, but they may want to support uh, women who are... Uh, victims of domestic violence that, that, that uh, he's working with or children that need school fees to go to school. Okay, so there's one opportunity. We talked about another opportunity for congregants to look thoroughly at 
the projects in which their congregations are involved overseas because it's once they're overseas it's um you may lose uh, some uh, ability to uh carefully examine the actual uh the projects there's also some other suggestions i believe you have as far as where we can appeal for uh more sanity in um in the in Ugandan society you're you're talking about from the local level and then upward about reaching our congress uh, uh repre- congressional representatives and what it, would I what mean, would they hear really from us it disturbs me that that my taxpayer money my hard earned money is being sent by the United States government to discriminate against um, a, a, a minority within another country. Uh-huh. And yes. we, you know, without even writing a check, if people wanted to pick up the phone or send an email or a letter to their member of, of Congress saying that we need to have an investigation to see how this money is being used and to make sure that American democratic principles of inclusion and, uh, again, the separation of church and state, we don't want to support a theocracy in, in another part of the world. That's not who we are as Americans. And to make sure that money that we are, we are, we are sending, in a way, through our government, is used rightly. So that's, at one, that's the language we take to our congressional members. Then there, uh, is that a similar something we would write directly to the State Department about? We could, we could. I mean, the State Department has been monitoring this very carefully, and and I had some meetings this week. Can you uh, tell us them. a little so bit? They're very, very concerned about what's happening in Uganda. We had uh, two undersecretaries uh, visited Uganda in the last two weeks, and what I understand is that half the conversation with the president was really around this, because it's it's not just about the death of David Cato; it's about the beginnings of a kind of unraveling of safety for people who, who feel that they are really being threatened and that the government is doing very little to stop them. The, the, the hearing for the Cato trial is going to be this Thursday, which is a very strange, it's the day before the election. In Kampala. Um, the, the anti-gay rhetoric in the election campaign has been appalling in Uganda. And um, we learned uh, on Sunday that there, there are two uh, people who are accused of the murder. There's a, uh, a man who was the driver of the vehicle that left uh, the, after the killing, and then the man who's confessed to the murder. And so they let the driver go this week, which is very strange. Uh, so we're going to be looking at that trial very carefully, and I know uh, the State Department will be monitoring this and making sure that, um, that uh, justice is brought to bear. So that trial begins on Thursday, and in Kampala, in the in the nationals capital, because that is that where David Cato was based. Yes. Okay. Since I, I know the interview was uh, filed out of uh, Nairobi, but that's that's where the um, the journalist for the New York Times was uh, posted. So, the trial begins then, and so only one individual is going to be tried, and so that sort of limits the ability to understand the extent to which uh, a sort of a larger concerted effort was um, uh, involved in in uh, taking out a gay man. Yeah, and the spin right now, I mean, there's some very disturbing stories coming out that that uh, there was a sexual relationship between um, this uh, this particular man and Cato, and that he didn't he didn't pay him for sex, and as a result of that, he he killed him. So instead of looking at this as a a, a crime that's really about 
um, somebody who was targeted um, because he was gay, a gay man and a, a leader in the human rights movement in Uganda, it's being turned into a kind of a, a domestic uh, fight. Like a drug deal it, that went sour kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And there's a similar case. There's a, there's a, uh, a human rights, uh, well-known, very well-known human rights person in the, in the Congo. And uh, again, the trial is... It, it, it's kind of there are two stories coming out of the, the, the country, and, and there's a spin on his story that we think that the Cato story is going to go that way as well. Oh, my goodness. So, this, well, it's, it's reassuring at least the State Department is watching it carefully. Um, and, but I, I am very unsettled by how you've described, though, that the, the Bahati legislation could easily be uh, taken apart and uh, tacked an, uh, into different areas of the the um, the legis the um, the body politics, so that to root out that kind of um, you know um, homophobic policy, it will be will be very very difficult. Well, it's interesting if you look at the Church of Uganda's position, which is an Anglican church, yes. you know, ten million people, a third of the country. Um, their position is that the present laws don't go far enough. They don't mention lesbianism, for example, and uh, the church is not in favor of the death penalty, but that the church believes that the state has to criminalize gay and lesbian people and their, and their behavior. Um, and the Church of Uganda would also say that homosexuality is not a human right. And there's a kind of dissociation uh, that... Somehow the, the body, 60 years of creating legislation and principles that came out of that horrible Second World War, that actually religious people um, helped to create. There's a kind of misconception that human rights uh, laws and values are secular and that we have, you know, God's law. Um, and so the, the Church of Uganda is actually on record saying uh, their phrase is, um, human, human wrongs don't make human rights. And... I think you know. The, I think the church really needs to be very careful um, to uh, either oppose the body of human rights that we've collected, or to say that it's secular. Do you, because you talked about Rick Warren with the Saddleback Community Church, um, his uh, connections and his his uh, his um, his reach with the the leadership in Uganda? Is there any appeal we can make to him and saying? You, you, uh, you know, Christian, uh, you, ha- you have a responsibility and a duty to see what has been fomenting and what what is happening. Is there is, is there anything we can uh, reach him ab- about? I, I think there's a lot that uh, Rick Warren and his community. He does a lot of really good work in in this county. He has many uh, programs for all sorts of hurting people. And I think if, if he engages in deeper dialogue with the local gay and lesbian community, um, he's doing that to some extent in his work among people with AIDS. I think that's very encouraging that he's, he's talking to people about and realizing perhaps that the traditional view of using the Bible to beat gay people up is not, is not a good thing. It's not a Christian thing. And then to see how uh, the extreme of that is being played out in an area where he can pick up the phone and talk to the president, and he can go over there and meet with the pastors and just talk about, you know, his own experience in, 
in this county and how we're working together. And if you decriminalize homosexuality, you don't have to condone it. You can still believe homosexuality is wrong, but, but you don't have to use the state to enforce that. And I think if Rick Warren came out and said, decriminalization of homosexuality needs to happen now, and it means it will open the door for health services for people, it'll stop this horrible cycle of hatred around the world. I mean, I think he, if he did that, that would be tremendous. Well, those are some of our many steps that um, people can take away so as not to feel so powerless in this horrific um, movement unleashed here in um in a beautiful in a beautiful part of the world and and in many other beautiful parts of the world i want to thank you we've got to bring this uh large large expansive uh, discussion to a close uh now and i i want to thank you canon albert ogle for uh, appearing on the show your important work provides us with a window on a front uh that we we must all help in in resolving uh, with your contacts in Uganda, we um, we uh, I would like to extend our heartfelt condolences on their loss and uh, extend our gratitude for those that are keeping the electoral and the parliamentary system trying to restore um, safety and sanity in that system. And I I thank you very much for being on the show today. My pleasure, Claudia. Thank thank you so much for co- covering something that I think um, more people need to talk about. Thank you. I thank you, and we'll stay tuned. <clears throat> Take care. So, ladies and gentlemen, I um, am just about ready to d- deep, deep into um, George Rosales' show here. I want to uh, first say that the show is, um, the opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the University of California Regents, Board of Regents, nor of the Radio KUCI or its management. I, heard there was a secret call. I want to thank you for listening to this edition of KUCI. Um, ask a Leader this morning. Next week, we're going to bring in a number of parents who've mobilized to look at the issue of are we assigning too much homework? I believe we're going to be talking about grades K through 12. We're going to talk about all of them with uh, work that's being done locally to address this. Thank you for staying tuned with us. Next up, George Had a Hat. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.